Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to another episode of the Owl's Nest, bringing you a weekly bird's-eye view of all the action happening in the Overwatch League. Hope everybody out there is staying safe and healthy during this uh, time of isolation. Jake, thanks for joining me, as always. Happy to be here, and we've got a really exciting show this week. Interesting stuff. I think so as well, yeah. And actually, where I'd like to start isn't with the takeaways from last week, but uh, with the Lone Star Showdown that uh, just started here this past week on Monday. Uh, by now, if you're watching this, hopefully you should be able to also go and take a look at the three-part docu-series uh, that started. Uh, matches over the next uh, three, two, three weeks are going to happen every Monday on the Outlaws and Field YouTube channel at noon. And that docu-series that I mentioned, following sort of all the behind-the-action scenes, uh, will be Saturday at noon at CST on uh, several Tengas stations throughout uh, Texas, if you happen to live in the Texas area. But if you don't, you can still find those on the Outlaws and Fuel uh, YouTube channels as well. But Jake, I actually wanted to ask you, you got to cast the first uh, uh, set of matches on Monday with Uber. And watching it was really interesting to see how everything's broken down into sort of a 1v1 and a 3v3 setup and how the way that some of these heroes are played in a team composition can completely change when going into a 1v1 or a 3v3. So how was it casting those sort of uh, those 1v1 and 3v3 challenges? Um, I'd actually played in a couple 1v1 tournaments in the past, so I um, was a bit familiar, I guess, with the, some of the 1v1 matchups, having played them just a little bit. Um, but for me personally, I think the 3v3 is, is really the exciting part of the small team challenges because I think it really presents a unique format, the elimination format, as well as... Um, the lockout with, um, you know, if you went around, you won't use those heroes again. So there ended up being these really actually interesting meta of, of teams trying to get in each other's head and guess, oh, you're probably going to play the Arisa first, so we're going to come out on this comp that we think can counter it. Um, and, I, and I just found that pretty entertaining, pretty fun. So um, cool to see the teams really get into it and, and have some interesting strategies to bring to the field. Yeah, all in all, it was definitely a success. Um, I mean, we knew it was going to be close, but to see basically every single sort of competition almost go down to the wire, uh, except for that Ryan one, uh, Muma being really, really aggressive, when he probably should have had the patience. Uh, like uh, Gamsu was, but can't wait to see where this goes from here, uh, both in the docu-series and in the competitions themselves. Taking a look at last weekend's takeaways, though, in the Overwatch League, uh, I'd like to start talking about the Soul Dynasty uh, versus both the Charge and the Spark. You know, Soul Dynasty coming in a few weeks ago against Shanghai, we were expecting, we were hoping for them to be another top contender, but so far they've been swept in every single match uh, since they've came back. Uh, Jake, do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, do you think maybe Echo coming in this last week, there might have been some growing pains there? Or, uh, uh, you know, what should we expect from the Dynasty going forward? I mean, I think there's a few different stories, different narratives you could tell about this situation. Um, I think the reality is that it's probably a little bit of all of them, but uh, there's no way to really know, I guess, which one's the most important. I'd say the first narrative is that um, getting destroyed by... Dynasty, or, or sorry, Dynasty getting destroyed by the Dragons um, was a shock to the system. Like, they, they thought they could take the team, and, you know, Dragons just kind of dismantled them um, in, in some pretty, in my opinion, fair matches. Like, they're not, they're not playing anything crazy or cheese comps, cheese, like, pretty default strategies. Shanghai just executes so well that they're dominating Dynasty. And then uh, that's got to hurt the mental of the Dynasty, who felt like this was maybe their season to have a lot of success. And then going into next week, they just have... You know they're they're lacking that passion, that momentum, and charge and spark take advantage of it. 
the other narrative would be Charge and Spark are actually pretty strong teams, and Dynasty was never that far ahead of them. So even a small push, any little edge um, can give them these solid wins. I mean, I think the 3-0 scoreline is pretty surprising. Um, I'm not shocked that Charge and Spark can take wins off Dynasty, but I am pretty surprised that Dynasty can't pick up a map on the way through. Um, the final narrative is, of course, Echo, um, which is, I think, the hardest to know. But to be fair, yeah, like they, their, their usage of Echo hasn't felt uh, as dominant as other teams, and this hero has been pretty much perma-played. Um, Charge and Spark both made better use of the hero, um, and, and that showed really well on the 3-0 scoreline. So... Dynasty, I mean, the reality is that if all those things are a little bit true, uh, or if it's just one or two of them, that's a little bit more true. Uh, still, it's really rough to take three full zero threes in a row. Like, that is, like, the worst momentum stop you could, you could get for a team that you probably felt like this was their season. Do you think that we should uh, expect to see them sort of struggle to get any momentum back? Or what would you say that they would have to do to try to reverse their fortunes going forward? Well, I, I think it's it's... Uh, it's not like they're going to lose everything for the rest of the season, but at the same time, the question is, how quickly can you staunch the bleeding, both in terms of getting up to par on Echo, not just on an individual basis, but on a team play basis, like how their strategies are built around an Echo. Um, and beyond that, uh, just like having the mental fortitude to not let these losses affect you, right? Because if you let the Shanghai loss affect you, and then it gave you these losses, like the, the obvious lesson is, is don't don't worry about the losses and that gets harder and harder to do is the irony of it the more losses you get the worse the losses are the more they do actually affect you no matter what you try to do um, but as a professional player as a professional team you kind of have no choice but to shut that out and just like keep giving your best in the next few matches um, i think the apac region is pretty tough though uh, to, to be honest uh, in, in this online format so um, as long as dynasty can just do okay enough to make playoffs, then they could always turn it around at that point. Well, speaking of uh, keeping that mental fortitude and not letting the losses get to you, uh, both Nixel and Shanghai went up against each other, and the match to start out was uh, pretty favorably in Nixel's side of the court, but Shanghai bringing back the reverse sweep and showing that they do have that mental fortitude and being able to really sort of uh, zone in on what they need to do to win. Why don't you talk us through, you know, some of the takeaways that you had from this match here? Uh, I felt that um, the Echo gameplay from Shanghai was uh, just a lot more clean, a lot stronger. Nixel came out so strong with Sabi Olby really, I think, being the reason they're winning. Actually, for me, it wasn't um, who are you's Echo that was like actually the difference maker. Uh, I think he was doing fine, but I think it was Sabi Olby on the Tracer just going out of control. I think Shanghai were too focused on the Echo matchup, understandably, because the hero was immensely powerful and you want to shut it down. Uh, but who are you was good at being evasive. But that led Sabiolbi to just pretty much run rampant and destroy everybody. So I think what happened was Shanghai made the adjustment at halftime to just hard focus Sabiolbi. Don't let him play the game. Um, don't worry as much about who are you. And I think that was the adjustment they needed. Sabiolbi got really shut down. Um, not because he's playing badly, but I think when he would go behind, Dragons would just turn on him with four players, five players, maybe the whole team. Just completely shut him down, force him to instantly recall. He gets no value. Uh, and then playing on that strategy, that mentality, they won the next two maps, and then Nixel switches it up. They bring, like, Libero in, I think, for the last map, but um, at that point, Shanghai just relied on their execution and, and went out. Well, it's definitely interesting to see how these two teams continue to go up against each other now that the two regions have been uh, split into our North American and our Asian region. We're going to see a lot more of the Nixel versus Shanghai matchup. 
The last match that I wanted to take a look at here was the Philadelphia Fusion and the Paris Eternal. Uh, a little bit of a rivalry starting to bud here. This is the third time that they've played each other. Uh, they've gone to a Game 5, I believe, in every single series, but Philly, of course, taking the last two. Uh, and, you know, the Eternal have had a little bit more success than the Reign, the other team that we've been waiting to see if they have what it takes to sort of break through uh, into some of the top teams here. What was it that the, uh, the Eternal uh, uh, doing to uh, almost get that leg up on the Fusion? Uh, I think they're they're actually playing quite well um, overall as a team. Like for me, that that's what shines with Paris. Like that's why I've always thought of them as this team that really is just inches away from the top. Um, because uh, even without uh, XE and Sparkle, who are kind of like those carry factor, just like gonna pop off and dominate, and you're just gonna walk in and cap the cart once they're done doing their work. Um, you know, even without those tools in the toolkit for Paris, it's been their teamwork that they've fallen back on. So I've got to shout out the coaching for sure of Paris Eternal. Um, they're playing really intelligent Overwatch. Um, they're not forcing themselves into awkward situations or taking uh, hard fights. I mean, obviously, Philly's going to do their best to create those situations. But I think Paris has been pretty nimble as far as avoiding that. And that's what I think has caught so many teams against Philly. Like, Philly is a team that understands how to play their advantages and is going to press them very hard when they have them. Um, and Paris, I feel like, has the awareness to back out of those situations and re-aggress. And uh, I honestly think it's probably FD God who has a lot of um, impact on that particular situation, right? Like, he's got uh, the perfect timings and the calls and the kites to, to retreat out. And, then, you know, those plays, I think, have oftentimes turned Philly's aggression against them, where they're, they're coming in aggressively trying to play an advantage. Uh, and Paris is able to back out and take a favorable fight um, just a little bit after that, so... Um, the team play from Paris and, and the decision making, I think, has been uh, what's kept them in it without their, uh, what I would think of as like carry play style with XE and Sparkle, um, which is pretty scary, right? Because, you know, when you put the carry, when you put some really insane DPS um, who want to play that way in a team that can keep themselves alive and can make the fights last a long time, that's a pretty deadly combo because it just means those DPS players have a lot of time to work with. Uh, a lot of opportunities, a lot of options. They can be greedy with the flanks. They could, you know, fight with the team. They can do whatever they want, essentially. And that's pretty much your ideal situation as a DPS player. So Paris is a team that, like, if they just maintain until they can get their full strength with their whole lineup available near the end of the season, uh, they're definitely going to be a force to be reckoned with in playoffs. Now, speaking of that strength, too, we've obviously talked in the past and, and wondered just how much they're sort of losing out on with uh, XE not being on the roster at the moment. Uh, they did just pick up Fielder and played him this past week, uh, playing from Korea on that 200 ping. Uh, any takeaways or any initial impressions from Fielder's play? I mean, honestly, I didn't even realize he was on 200 ping. That's pretty impressive to me because it's very hard to play Overwatch on 200 ping. Uh, it really hurts, especially on DPS. I think it's one of the... Well, I think probably main tank would be the worst role, but uh, pretty rough on DPS as well. Um, you know, those you, there's a few heroes that are almost out of the question to try to play. Um, but I like that, you know, they're sticking to the heroes that are a little bit more viable on high ping, more static DPS that aren't so movement-reliant. Um, those tend to be a little bit stronger um, on the ping. They're less impacted by it than, like, a Tracer or a Doomfist. Um, actually, Tracer is, is sort of okay, but um, yeah, I think they, they did well playing around that, and I'm pretty impressed by Fielder that he's able to put out a good performance on 200 ping. I mean, even just an okay performance on 200 ping is impressive <laughs> to me because it's, it's like no joke. That's a big disadvantage. 
Well, guys, as always, we'd love to know what your thoughts and opinions are from last week's play. You can let us know over at Checkpoint XP on Twitter and Facebook. Make sure you're also following myself at Robbie underscore Landis CP and Jake at Jake OW. Coming up next, ESPN put out an article talking to a bunch of their different esports correspondents about what they think the state of the Overwatch League is. We're going to respond here on the Owl's Nest, so stay tuned. Hey, it's Weird Beard from Checkpoint XP reminding you to make it blue. Help say thank you to our heroes on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. Whether you're streaming, drawing, singing, cooking, or anything else, showcase your talents and hashtag light it blue. You can find more information at our website, CheckpointXP.com. Thank you, everybody, for watching The Owl's Nest. Now, if you want to be able to get us on the go, you can actually download a podcastable version of us uh, over at Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Also, make sure that you're checking out all of our other content over at CheckpointXP.com. And if you haven't already, follow Jake over on Twitch at Jake underscore OW. So ESPN put out uh, sort of a story. They uh, basically, it's called the State of the Overwatch League here in 2020. And they asked a bunch of their different Overwatch correspondents and analysts, uh, you know, different questions in relation in regards to what's going on in the Overwatch League right now. Uh, It's a pretty good read. Uh, You can find it, of course, over at ESPN.com. But I thought that we would sort of give our own take on it. Uh, you know, Jake, you, yourself, uh, directly from the Overwatch League, and myself as someone who basically just spends nonstop time watching it, uh, you know, just see sort of how our opinions sort of differ from theirs. And so I'm going to start right at the top of it, just sort of a brief, you know, uh, you know, one, two sentence overview. Right now, Jake, what do you think is the state of the Overwatch League? Um, I feel like the Overwatch League is in a bit of a holding pattern right now, that's how I describe it. Um, just the reality of the situation, I feel, though, like, like it's brutal on absolutely everybody. Um, and I think the league's done the best it can, at least in the situation that it is, right? Like, you know, like, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to make people, like, like you're going to make these Korean players, like, not be able to go home and be with their families at this time? Like, no, you, you can't do that. They Like, these people, they got to go back to Korea. They got to be with their family. Uh, you know, this is, like, it's just an exceptional time. Like, obviously, it sucks to have the same matchups recycled more often and we don't get to see like the whole league playing together the way it should be and the way everyone wants it to be but like the human concern is so much more important than esports like i love esports esports is great but like it's a matter of life and death genuinely in these times so the overwatch league is not the first priority and, and you know are the people who make the overwatch league their lives are the first priority and i'm i'm actually pretty proud that the overwatch league respects that even when it hurts the, the league itself, even when it makes things harder and more difficult, the league puts that like health and wellness and, and respect for the, for the people who are part of it 
and puts that first. And I really appreciate that as somebody who works in the league. Um, obviously, from the outside, I can see how you know you'd have all these complaints, but um, at least as far as like you know, like the online matchups and the matchups being the same uh, every few weeks, like obviously that's not ideal, but it's the reality that it has to be in order to protect like the interests of the people, you know. Yeah, no, I, I have to agree with uh, a lot of that. And I think that a lot of people right now that may look at the Overwatch League and, you know, the way that they may uh, interpret some of the some of the struggles or some of the downfalls, I think the thing that we have to remember is that we are in the middle of a global pandemic with COVID-19 here. And so it's hard to know exactly what issues is the league having that they can actually deal with that, that you know, might actually fall on their own plate. And what are the issues that the entire world is dealing with right now? I mean, traditional sports themselves have had to completely shut down. The Overwatch League and esports are in a very fortunate place that they can continue to, you know, have these competitions and find ways to adapt and not just shut things down, you know, all at once, which I think leads into the next question here. And that is, what is the main cause of the league's current struggles? Which I think is, again, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to nail down because anything that is caused by the pandemic that other leagues and other organizations are also contending with right now, I don't think it's fair to lay those struggles necessarily at the feet of the league. And for me, I think really the biggest thing that really jumps out to me a lot is the change in viewership, at least in what we see from the numbers between what we used to have on Twitch and what we have now on YouTube. And I don't know that we're really going to get that full picture and know really how big that discrepancy is until probably near the end of the year when we get some Nielsen rating numbers back. Yeah, exactly. I think it's kind of hard to interp uh, interpret, especially because, um, you know, there's like the whole aspect of like the Asian broadcasting numbers, which I've actually heard are extremely good because for the first time there's primetime matches, um, you know, broadcast in, in Asia. So um, that's like a huge game changer as far as the Asian viewership. Um, but of course, those matches, like playing literally everything in NA times, makes you have better NA viewership. Um, but I, so you know, I, so I think some things are, you know, from a Western perspective, seem bad, but are actually uh, ultimately a big positive for the league um, in terms of viewership and you know the global aspect of the league. Um, but I would have to agree that like the the viewership is definitely lower on YouTube. Um, part of it is that YouTube itself is like the live platform is new and and growing, but. Like Overwatch League is like the biggest thing on YouTube live gaming, right? Like there's no, there's not like a ton of content that's going to bring people to this platform compared to Twitch, which is like absolutely saturated, the default for live esports content. Um, so, you know, I, I think it makes the partnership makes sense to me still because VOD content is so much better on YouTube. Obviously, oh, it's like yes, it the king of VODs and VODs on Twitch are pretty terrible, actually. But Overwatch League has always had successful VOD viewership. So the partnership with YouTube kind of makes sense with that in mind that you want the VODs to be accessible and easy and, and just everything good about them um, because the, the fans seem to want that sort of content. They want the VOD content. Um, so there's like good long-term things to be excited about, but in the short term, I definitely agree. Um, it's a bit of a struggle. Um, that's yeah, it's just the reality right now. Now, obviously, uh, Sinatra retiring and heading over to Valorant uh, also uh, has been a big headline. A lot of questions on people's minds. What do you think makes a game like Valorant appealing to pros that have left Overwatch? Because you know, both obviously being first-person shooters, there are obviously still a lot of differences in the way that the two of these operate. And Overwatch League, you know, has an established 
league now, whereas Riot still plans on sort of letting the, the, the grassroots scene of Valorant sort of, uh, uh, you know, grow itself. So, you know, do you think that it's smart for Overwatch pros to be looking at Valorant, uh, you know, as uh, sort of the next path in their career? I mean, I think as a pure business sense, it's pretty crazy to leave, like, a, um, like if you're an Overwatch League player, like, you're an, an actual pro player, and then you leave games, like, that is pretty, that's not, like, a business decision, um, not a, really a financial decision, that's more of, like, a passion decision, I think, um, it has to be, because, like, obviously, the Overwatch League has a lot of security in it, um, you know, if you're, like, somebody who hasn't really made it to the professional scene in Overwatch, you know, it's totally normal, I think, to be looking at new games and, and trying them out, um, seeing if you have that competitive potential in this new game, and if the game itself has the overall competitive potential, the esports potential, um, those are totally normal. Like that's that's a classic of esports. Is you know you kind of got to be ready to jump on the new game and grind it if if you have the potential. Um, but what makes a game like Valorant so appealing? Like why did it draw a player like Sinatra? I mean, it's hard to speculate. Um, but I have to say that the most important thing for me is like it's not really the esports. Actually, it's not. Like, obviously, the fact that Valorant has no, like, supported league um, probably reduces the security for esports players there compared to the Overwatch League. But at the same time, I think what, what does it is it's actually just the game itself, right? Like, and that's why our next question is what can the league do to fix things? Uh, but I actually think that's almost like a, a misnomer. It's the wrong question to ask because in, in, my, in my view, the, the problem is the game itself. Um, in my view, the problem is in, with Overwatch is that... Um, I'm not against the existence of heroes that don't really need to aim, um, but I've always felt that those heroes should not be competitively dominant. Like, if, if Moira is so dominant that the best aimers in the world play Moira, like, 24-7, then I think that's actually a, a horrendous flaw in the balance. Um, if you can be the best aimer in the world and it's still not worth playing Zen um, or, or Ana or, or one of the supports that has to aim, uh, I've always felt like that that's kind of a tragedy. Um, and, and I think that the devs have tried to create the situation where these heroes are equally balanced um, for pros, but I just don't think that's actually possible. This is the nature of a hero like Moira that cleaves all of her allies um, in like a really wide cone. Is like there's <laughs> the, the hero just isn't gated by aim skill. Like there's other sorts of skill in the hero, but aim skill is really that key skill set that you know like no one's ever going to accuse McCree of, of being broken or imbalanced, right? Because if you can't click the enemy, you can't click the head you're really not that dangerous, right? Like, that's everything is gated on that. Same for Zen, same for Ana. If you can't hit your shots or your nades, like, you're not that dangerous of a hero. So it's, even when Ana is really strong, I don't hear anybody saying, oh, Ana, she's so broken, like, this hero's not balanced or whatever. Because it's like, if an Ana hits a sleep dart on you, you're like, well, you know, I respect that. That's, that's a big play. Um, but I do think heroes like Moira, uh, Moira has always been the worst defender, but to a lesser extent, uh, Brig and Mercy. I think these heroes, like, Ideally, they could be niche picks in top-level play, but I think once they get to that point of truly dominating top-level play, I honestly feel bad for like a flex support player who is insane aimer, grinding the game, practicing to be the best in the world, and then there's a meta where they have to play Moira for like three months, and like they just don't—you don't really aim that much on that hero. And I think for a lot of FPS players, that's like such a weird feeling to have grind, like spending your all your life, months and months and months, hundreds and hundreds of hours learning to aim really well, and then you're tasked with playing a hero that essentially doesn't need those skills. Um, I just think that's really awkward. And when those heroes are competitively dominant for the best players in the world, I think that's pretty unhealthy for the game. Um, and I think that, in a nutshell, is what causes a lot of players to be frustrated with Overwatch. It's a very interesting uh, perspective there. 
so let me ask you this then, and this is the next question, of course, that came out of the State of the Overwatch article from ESPN. What does Overwatch 2 need to introduce to win back fans and top-level players? Because at this point, you know, with Overwatch 2 somewhere in the pipeline, you know, we know we're not getting any new uh, heroes. Uh, we're probably not going to get any new maps at this point. So the game, as we see it, outside maybe some balance changes here and there, is probably going to stay the way it is until we get Overwatch 2. Yeah, I mean, I think um, Overwatch 2 or just a balance pass on Overwatch 1 um, that sort of... I think there's... I've always thought there's different ways to do this, like... You can make a hero like Brig a name skill hero, actually, without radical changes. Um, like some of the one of some of the things I suggested before would be make like the primary weapon, like the flail, make it have slightly longer range right at the center of your crosshair, so that if your aim is extremely good and you're tracking the enemy while swinging, then you actually have like the maximum possible range. So a player that is like right at the max of your range, you need to be tracking them to be hitting all your swings. Um, and you can make so if you make that swing instead of it being like a semicircle hitbox, you make it more of an oval. So it's it's like pointed down the crosshair. Um, so like even though it's a melee weapon, you know you still get value from aiming it. Um, same could be done for Moira, where um, you can make the the her her abilities less effective when they're off target. Even if you want to keep the auto aim to make the hero feel accessible, it it should be like you know if you actually track the enemy properly and you're not relying on the auto-aim, there should be some sort of reward for that. Uh, currently, there's not. So that that's what makes the hero feel kind of bad. Is like, uh, you know, I saw Kariv saying something on Twitter, like, make Moira aim like Zarya so I can actually play the game. Um, and I couldn't agree more. I actually think that is, like, such an important thing for an FPS game, that every player has an opportunity to show their skill. And if you don't, if, if the devs don't agree with that, like, that every hero needs to have aim skill, then that's okay but I still think they should make those heroes not competitively dominant. Like when Moira becomes the meta for months and months, I mean, at least now with hero pools, we won't see it like long-term, um, but I have always felt that um, the heroes that don't really have like aim requirements should be prevented from being dominant. Like they should be niche picks. That's okay for them to be niche picks. But like I said before, if the best aimers in the world play a hero that doesn't really require you to aim because that hero is just so efficient and strong which happens all the time in overwatch like moira just healing five people is incredibly powerful even though it doesn't require you to aim that doesn't matter it's it's very powerful and coalescence even though it's very easy to use is extremely powerful so like you can't you know like the players have no choice really but to play these heroes because those heroes make them win um that's really the, the players it's a bit out of your hands you have to play what's the best um and if Moira's is the best you have to play it so it's kind of up to the devs to make sure that these heroes that require aim skill have like enough of a value to them that they that the best players in the world can actually get use of them. Well, yeah, no, those are some great ideas. Jeff, listen up. Uh, we got some cool ideas over here on the Owl's Nest. All right, guys, uh, again, that article came uh, from ESPN, the state of the Overwatch League in 2020. Definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, it also covers a lot of other sort of, uh, you know, bases here that we didn't have a chance to uh, yet on the Owl's Nest. But coming up next, we're going to talk about the upcoming matches this week and how the hero bans might affect some of those results. When it comes to esports, we know that there are teams that are good, but they may not necessarily be the teams that have the biggest followings. Is the lifestyle angle really the way that esports should be looking at this or will there be teams that get popular just because they're good or more profitable just because they're good 
Yeah, I, I would say that if a point of owning an eSport organization is to make a return on your investment and become a way to monetize, that you have to be speaking more as a true lifestyle brand. So, right, so you, you brought up FaZe. To me, FaZe knocks it out of the ballpark, but it's a little bit different, right? FaZe is what I would truly call an entertainment conglomerate. You now see them building out FaZe Studio. You see a lot of music drops with Offset and Little Yachty. Um, that happened to be starting off in gaming culture and then truly transcended out of gaming and esports such that the esports piece is almost just kind of hidden now within the phase lifestyle. I was about to ask, if you haven't gotten a cuck, are you even trying at this point? <laughs> uh, I, I, we've been are you like, even for real? Don't like exactly. the police, hold on. <laughs> Libtard cuck, absolutely, we've gotten that one. Legit. Hold on, sure. wait, one second, one second, one second. Legit, hold on. L- for real, I think the police is not doing my dog. Hold on. <laughs> oh, right. oh, God. Oh, it's the, you, I don't want to witness a murder out. on my show. All right, quick. No, in chat, drop what Norris is being arrested for. Norris is getting Norris swatted being... right now. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're watching the Owl's Nest. Uh, make sure, you, if you haven't already, that you're connecting with us on social media. That's Checkpoint XP on Facebook and Twitter. Jake OW on Twitter. Jake underscore OW on Twitch. And uh, we're going to take a look at some of the matches coming up here this weekend. Uh, of course, the hero bands uh, being Reinhardt, Ash, Reaper, and Brigitte. And let's see how those are going to end up affecting our matches of the week. So the two matches coming this week, we're going to start off with Dallas versus Philadelphia, which was not one that I thought that I would ever be looking forward to seeing, but Dallas has really stepped it up this season, especially given the way that they sort of started off there. So Jake, Dallas versus Philadelphia, or Dallas versus Philadelphia here, what are you expecting? Because Dallas, or sorry, Philadelphia has still been pretty dominant, though they have also had a lot of game fives, where uh, Dallas normally isn't usually super strong, so what are you expecting out of this matchup? Well, personally, I just think Dallas has been playing really well as of late. I think the coaching's been really on point. Um, so props to Arrow and Young um, for doing a great job in that department. I think Dallas has had great strategies and, and also great execution. Decay and Doha have been just massively important for Dallas's success. Uh, the fact that Doha has been so flexible on you know like the projectile role, he can play everything and he seems to play it well. Um, and at the same time, you've got Decay, who's like just a monster on your classic DPS heroes, your hitscan, your tracer. Um, your, your Genji, those sort of things. Um, I just think this team is really dangerous and not a team that you can disrespect at all. Um, of course, Philly aren't pretty much the top team right now, so this is going to be far from easy for Dallas. I would say Philly probably, I, I, if I had to predict, I would say Philly's going to take the match, but I think this is another one that could easily go to game five. I think Dallas is going to be a tough opponent for them, and Dallas also could easily win it, um, just you know finding some edges here and there. So um, I think Philly probably has the edge uh, when it comes to the tank line, but I think beyond that, the matchup is, is actually pretty even. Crimzo has been looking really strong as well. Um, again, though, going up against Alarm, no easy task. So I would have to give the edge to Philly, but I definitely think Dallas is going to make it really close and really interesting. So what exactly do you think, uh, if you had to give some tips to Dallas, like in order for them to win it, what does Dallas have to do? 
I think the key for Dallas is going to be tank management. Um, they need to control the space well against Philly. If you give Carpe free reign, you, you're, it's over, right? Like he's going to just walk <laughs> over you and, and kill everybody. Um, so it's going to be on the whole team. Um, you know, you have to out pressure Poco somehow. You have to get Poco off these off angles. Poco is always playing for high value. Uh, when he's on the Sigma, on the, you know, he's always on the flank, always getting that poke pressure, always, you know, just making you worry about things. Um, so for Note and Gomsu, they have their work cut out for them. Sato and Poco or Sato and Fury. Uh, that's, you know, a really dangerous tank line. You've got to somehow pressure them out. Um, so that's also on the DPS. Uh, but I think it's just going to come down to Overwatch fundamentals between these teams. Like, I don't think the matchup is so bad for Dallas that they have to resort to some cheesy tactics, like trying to focus one player or something like that. I think um, Dallas just needs to play their game and play their strategies, and uh, it's just going to be a matter of controlling the space and putting pressure on Philly and executing their game plan first. All right, then the other one that we want you to take a look at for our match of the week is the Guangzhou Charge versus uh, the London Spitfire. We haven't actually seen London for a little while here. You know, they're another one of the w- rookie squads coming in this season that have had a lot of promise, but now they've had a few weeks off. So, Jake, coming back in, you know, should we expect London to be as uh, unconventional as what they had in the past? And how do you think that they're going to go up against the Charge? Yeah, well, it's definitely going to be interesting to see. Will they, you know, more follow along or will they keep going with their unique strategies? I have to think that sort of unique play style um, helps London. Although, on the other hand, I feel that London's best play style in the past has been those Reaper Ryan rush comps. You know, Lucio Mara, Reaper Ryan, um, you know, and a Diva or something. Uh, Maybe a May, maybe maybe a McCree, something like that. But just a very fast, aggressive comp. And Ryan and Reaper are out of the pool this week. So... Uh, London pretty much can't play that style. I don't think that sort of... Ryan and Reaper are, in my opinion, the two of the top three most important heroes for that comp, the third being Lucio. But still, like losing two out of three of your best tools really makes you want to just play a different strategy. Um, and Guangzhou, on the other hand, dive and poke comps have been their bread and butter. So I feel that in the, the hero pool this week favors GZ. Um, London... Uh, could easily turn around. I just think they're going to have to... I don't think Rush is really an option. I think they need to play Dive or Poke. Um, personally, I favor Poke comp. I just think it's a stronger strategy overall. But um, in the mirror match, I think GZ is probably a little bit more comfortable in both of those comps. So I'd have to favor them. Uh, but London, you know, obviously we haven't seen them in a while. So it's too hard to predict exactly how they'll perform. All right. Unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today, ladies and gentlemen. So thank you so much for joining us for the Owl's Nest. Make sure that you're staying safe out there, staying in quarantine, social distancing yourself. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Remember to stay on that payload.